Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. Yay! It's a podcast. Hooray! Uh, my name is Lachlan Hoy. Uh, joining me is... Danae Bags. And... Tully Grimley. Oh, fantastic. So today, we're going to be talking about the magical art of divination. Yeah. Ooh, What's this, <laughs> Well, what this is, is uh, a word derived from the Latin word divinare, which means to foresee, to foretell, to predict, to prophecy. Huh. In fact, I believe it's also related to the word divinus, which is divine. So really, it's to be inspired by a god. Yes. Yeah. So this week, we're going to talk about divination. It's an interesting, I guess, art or science, as you want to believe in it, <laughs> because especially in fantasy settings, divination was really important, at least in our history, and mm. it formed a massive part of human psychology for a very long time, this belief that you could actually predict or foretell the future and perhaps influence it or be consigned to your fate. Mm. So I think Lachlan's going to start us off a bit about yeah. some history and whatnot. Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of get into a little bit about like what really divination was. Not like what the practices of divination were, but just kind of like what it was and like what it meant to people throughout history. Um, I think the two best examples of the kind of like, it's sort of a spectrum of how people see divination. Mm. Um, on the one hand, some people see it as, um, like, the ancient Greeks saw it as something that was very powerful in a political sense, uh, important in, in, like, kind of the grand scheme of things in yeah. a way that a lot of other people didn't necessarily. Because you kind of take... Th- at the same time, a look over at um, the African continent and they're using divination just as much, if not more so, but it's all about like human relationships and stuff. And it's, whereas like the Greeks are talking about like grand political campaigns and stuff uh, and the future of world events. Mm. Um, So it's kind of interesting to see the like conflicting attitudes. So I'll start with the Greeks Obviously, the the Greeks were super big into divination. Yeah, um, they love that. Yeah, I mean, most of the um, Greek pantheon has some relation to divination in some sense. Um, Apollo is kind of the biggest one because I believe he is considered like the god of divination. Oh, there you go. Um, Which one's that? Sorry, Apollo. Really? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's um, pretty cool. 
because uh, the Oracle of Delphi was a the like temple that the which is ah oh, so she practiced at the temple of Apollo. Well, kinda. The wording's kind of weird, and this is why it's kind of hard for me to get the words right. But when they talk about oracles in ancient Greece, they're talking technically mostly about the actual person, but also the place they were in and the prophecies that they had. So it's kind of confusing. So to clarify, when I talk about Oracle, I'm talk- I'll am i talk about the like the Oracle of Delphi, for instance, like the actual person. Mm. Um, and the place, will, I'll just say like the temple and the thing will be like, I don't know, the prophecy or something. Just for yeah. sake of clarity. But when they write about it in history, it's referring to the person, the place, and the prophecy all as sort of a one nebulous entity, yeah? Not really. It's just kind of interchangeable. They're not one thing. They're all different things. But you they're can all spoken of as the, the Oracle of Delphi. As the Oracle. Well, not necessarily the Oracle of Delphi. But okay. But as the also Oracle. the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah. I must admit, I'm a little confused, but go on. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's basically just was probably an ancient Greek thing. The word just meant a few different things um, and yeah. was kind of just about... We're literally talking semantics. Yeah. Um, but that, my point is, that's why I'm just clarifying up front. That's what I mean when I say those things. Yeah. And that's why the some of the research, if you look into it yourself, is might be a little confusing. So in Greece, uh, the Oracle of Delphi probably dates back to about uh, 1400 BC. Um, in a pu- in the middle period of what's called Mycenaean Greece. So the temple at Delphi, which was like the name of the place, was, yeah, it was this like shrine dedicated to Apollo. I believe it used to be dedicated to someone else in the Pantheon and then in Apollo supposedly like took it over, like himself physically took it over at one point um, and instituted kind of his group. Um, and the Oracle of Delphi, also known as the... Pythia was uh, was her other name, was the mouthpiece of Apollo. Kind of the way that they viewed it was the legend was that like the god was sitting in like a laurel kind of thing, like in a thing of kind of an upside down parabola of leaves kind of shape. Okay. And when they like move around in it, the like the rustlings are what the oracle hears. Um, that's like the future. That's how you predict things. Um, so it's this like connection to the gods, very specifically in Greece. And because of this connection to the gods, it was a very prestigious position, a very highly respected position. In fact, um, the uh, Pythia, it's kind of, people call her the Pythia and Pythia a lot. I don't know which one's correct, but uh, Pythia was basically the Oracle of Delphi was one of the most powerful people in ancient Greece. I mean, everyone from the common man to the most, to like the emperors of the ancient world would come to the Oracle of Delphi before they did pretty much anything. Uh, Mm. It was said at one point that there was like almost nothing that happened in ancient Greece that the Oracle of Delphi didn't have some say over. She, that's Um, a powerful person. Yeah, uh, which is especially wild considering um, there was almost no women in positions of power at that time. Mm. Um, But the Oracle of Delphi was one of the highest civil authorities in ancient Greece. Um, it is also worth noting that um, there was a lot of public debate over what happened in, like, 
matters of war and state at the similar times yeah. and that the oracle was used then to sort of guide the direction that that debate took. Yeah, it was never... The oracle was never giving straight answers. It was... The prophecies were presented in what were called Delphic maxims, which actually the uh, first oracle of Delphi kind of, I think, invented this style of poetry. Um, It's got a very... It's got like a specific name that um, I don't have written down, but it's a the Delphic maxims have like a specific like poetic structure um, that came with the first um, oracle, and they were these like typically only a few lines, just kind of like a vague like cryptic poetic paragraph about the whatever issue had been presented, and they kind of pull you and you can see kind of like the origins of like modern uh, like psychic communities and stuff in the sense that it's designed in a way that can kind of be interpreted either way and as such the oracle is accepted to kind of be infallible i mean anyone who interpreted the oracle wrong just interpreted the oracle wrong Mm. like the gods gave you a thing that could be interpreted two ways and you should have done it right um for instance uh, there was an emperor who went who had a massive military campaign against Persia. Um, And Mm. the Oracle of Delphi said something along the lines of, at least this is the way the story goes, that if you cross the river, uh, you will never be be defeated in war. If you cross the river, a great empire will fall. Something along those lines. But if you put a comma in there at like just one random point, then the message of that then becomes... You will never win a war. You will be defeated in war. And if you cross the river, your empire will fall. (laughs) That's so awkward. Yeah. And so when this guy then goes and does it and loses, everyone's like, you got the oracle wrong. I don't know what to tell you. So that's kind of what the oracle was for. We don't know a lot about how people interacted with the Oracle of Delphi, um, In at least not like common people. Um, we know a little bit more about like the nobility, but a lot of the rules about how um, like a regular person, because the Oracle of Delphi would talk to like nobility, but would, like I said, talk to anyone that came up. It was just like a longer wait, I think, if you didn't give them money. But the, like, process of going about that is completely lost to history. I think, like, the one good account we have of the way the Oracle of Delphi worked is um, from Plutarch, who knew, I think, a couple of the oracles. Oh, by the way, uh, Pythia is not one person. Pythia is a series of, like, uh, a bit of maybe a dozen oracles. Um, I don't have the actual number up in front of me, but I'll find it. Um, Who kind of just transitioned the role to, like, the next most oracle person who came up. It, basically, they just, like, tested you, and if you were the best at being the oracle, then you were the next oracle of Delphi. Um, That's nice and democratic. Yeah, well, it's... And you can kind of see that it is a real meritocracy because mm-hmm. um, the shift in who they picked as the oracle over time uh, actually goes towards less... Ed- less well-educated and poorer people. It kind of like transitions away from the nobility Um, Mm. because I think the original Oracle of Delphi was um, someone really highly respected who was like associated with divinity and with like the leadership in um, ancient Greece. Whereas like later on, um, 
they were the oracles were had such a different standard of education because of like their social setting that um the prophecies stopped being given originally in Delphic maxims altogether and were given in prose which um they believe some priests actually had to then translate into poetry um because they go. just they they wanted someone who was good at being an oracle and that didn't always mean that you were good at poetry damn yeah wild um so it's this weird kind of like strangely democratic um position uh strangely like merit-based position kind of in contrast to the way things worked a lot around that time um but there are a few things that you can kind of point to throughout history that show why people bought into it even though it was a little ambiguous sometimes and people could so easily misinterpret uh the oracle's things um one of the biggest ones is there was probably a really bad gas leak in the <laughs> temple. The, okay, so there are the like rock formations under the temple because the position that it's in is above two intersecting fault lines. So there's this giant underground cavern full of these rocks that are full of um, these like hydrocarbons, which is basically just like a thing that if it's in a rock, it's fine. But if it gets out of a rock, it turns into a gas that at a certain point kills you, but at a lower level, Causes the, level the level probably oh closer to the God. level that was in the air makes you hallucinate a little bit. Um, it makes you like kind of feel euphoric. Um, it can cause seizures. Um, it Those seizures, you often don't remember what had happened during uh, them. And you could get absent spells, speak in tongues, uh, just talk shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Being an oracle, talking shit. So what's the difference? Yeah, I mean, pretty much, it's pretty much the same thing because basically, all through ancient Greece, like whether it was useful or not, because I know you guys are kind of touching, are going to touch a little bit more on like the, how they used it, but yeah. like they just listened to these poems from some random, often like not very like otherwise societally important um woman in a time where like only really rich men were important yeah and they just listened to the poems she said because they got kind of high when they went to her house so like plutarch talks for instance about like the sweet scent of that sometimes you would you would smell if you went into like the divination room um oh god because the way it was set up which really made it even worse was these fault lines that were under the temple had created this giant underground chasm with these underground streams um the vibration would break the rocks and release these hydrocarbons and because of all the tremors there were like a bunch of tiny cracks leading up and because they didn't actually set up the divination room in the main temple they set it up underneath oh so, the, so it's where it's most concentrated the only thing directly below them is this room full of hallucinogenic gas and oh, with fast-flowing rivers to make sure that it's that any gas from this like underground tunnel system makes its way to this like central intersecting location. Um, so like Plutarch, like I was saying, talks about like sometimes you would go in and you would smell this like sweet heavenly scent, like all the perfume in the world. It's beautiful, and it's probably just because this gas smells sweet, and he was stoned. And then Delphi <laughs> is there. Uh, as this like toxic gas is slowly like 
destroying her body, having seizures all the time, Jesus. which make her forget what she's been saying. But because she's like practiced in poetry and is like, and you don't actually lose awareness, your brain still works properly. Because they did some some tests, some like studies later on to see like what would happen if you breathed in these gases. Bags being on that test. Well, literally the thing that happens if you're on this thing, if you're on this gas, the thing that the study from, when was it? Uh, I think it was about the 1980s. Yeah, in the 1980s, um, there was a there was a big study from like some toxicologists because for a while they'd been like, there was no gas there, and then a bunch of people showed up and they were like, hey, there was a shit ton of gas here actually. Did you did you guys look underground? Because there's a lot of gas here. Um, and yeah, they tested it, and basically like the symptoms of 20 minutes of exposure to this, or like a not 20 minutes, sorry, like a 20% dose of this gas. Um, like twenty percent in the air, I believe, mm. would do, or would explain every like euphoric, weird, spiritual kind of sensation that people felt. Explain why Delphi would be so sharp, and then why that would seem so confusing because everyone was kind of stoned and not thinking straight, but they were kind of thinking straight because like you can think properly, but you're also high. Yeah. So, like, your perspective's weird, but you're still, like, thinking, like, normally, like, quickly. So, she can come up with these, like, big, grandiose poems, and everyone's too stoned to really think much about it. And then everyone listens. Uh, And then it's just, like, advice they can think about. So, yeah, it was... So, that's kind of one of the big reasons why it seems like it took hold there. Even if it was legitimate, like... Yeah. um, It was... There were all of these... Yeah, just all of these like weird geological kind of things that came together. That's crazy. Um, and in fact, the around the seventh century ish, the um, I believe it was the seventh century. Uh, the Oracle of Delphi became less and less important in the ancient world, and it's probably because there hadn't been any earthquakes there for a while, so less rocks had broken and there was less gas. So everyone, oh wow, so, so people were just less stoned. Yeah, so people kind of showed up and they were like, oh, "Well, I guess that's good advice." Sure, I'll think about it instead of being like, that was the most amazing spiritual experience I've ever had. I can't even fathom the things that happened to me, which was what everyone was saying when they came out of the temple before. Yeah. Um, And it's probably because you don't see, and no one really had the influence that Delphi had. They had oracles all over ancient Greece and nobody was nearly as important as Delphi. Yeah. Because nobody had the drugs under their temple. Um, but then you contrast that with like the African system of divination. Can I just, before we go into Africa, Mm -hmm. can I just talk about my favorite prophecy from Delphi? Have you heard of the wooden wall? No. I'm not sure. So this is, um, between four, this is around about 481, 480 BC. Um, and Athens is facing the risk of Xerxes invading from Persia. Um, and it's looking like Athens is going to fall to the Persian army. So, Oh, God, I do know this one. Fuck, this so is good. They were talking, <laughs> they just did, there was a whole bunch of public debate about what the city's going to do, how they're going to fend them off, or if they need to flee, right? And they just kept going back and forth and back and forth, and nobody really had a solid answer. So, they consulted the Oracle. Well, that's not entirely true. There were a few options. And it's important to know before going into this that there were a few options. Mm. They had the choice to sail back to Italy, 
um, which was fairly nearby and would mean that they could evacuate everyone before the army showed up. Mm -hmm. They could reinforce um, the defences in Athens and try to hold off a fight. Or they could try and uh, beat the invading force with boats. With boats, yeah. Like try try to beat them out of the sea before they even got to the shore. So those were kind of the things, but no one was like, but everyone was like, if we pick the wrong one, we'll all die. (laughs) And so Delphi, the Oracle gave this response. Athena cannot appease Olympian Zeus with her pleading words and shrewd metis. Yet I speak this word firm and adamant. Though all these within Attica's border shall be taken, even the secret places and divine Mount Kithiron, far-sighted Zeus will grant to Athena a wooden wall. It alone shall stand through shall come through uncaptured. Good fortune for you and your children, but do not wait for the host of foot and horse coming over land. Do not remain still, turn your back and retreat. Someday you will oppose them, O divine Salamis. You will destroy many women's children when Demeter is scattered or gathered in. The big thing that people hinged on there was the wooden wall. See, it, it says to, to run, right? It says mm-hmm. that the, the Athenians should flee, but... Far-sighted Zeus will grant to Athena a wooden wall and it alone shall come through uncaptured. So that kind of, if they follow that particular part, it gave them two options. It gave them the option to reinforce their defences with wood or to build a navy out of wood. So Athens spent three years building a navy like nobody had ever seen and they took on the Persian army at sea and completely cut them off. Just annihilated them. Just annihilated them. them. The Athens never saw Persian ships in that war. It was nuts. Um, and so that's, that's the sort of thing that they could get from the oracles that obviously that positive reinforcement, it saved Athens. The wooden wall saved Athens. And I just, I just love that particular story. It's so good. Well, um... I did read that they also, I think they also did fortify the Acropolis. Like they did two of the three. Mm. And I will flag for those playing along at home, boats would also take you to Italy. Yes. So literally any single outcome could have been in line with the uh, with the prophecy. Yeah, there's, there was a lot of hindsight involved in of prophecy. It, right? It's just like. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, Anything you say can be fine. But that's the thing that's interesting. So to, cl- to, to just kind of summarise, Greek oracles, their main thing, and the main reason they, they kept their thing, uh, their like power for as long as they did, was because uh, they were able to make people a little bit more susceptible because of the uh, geological conditions and because things were intentionally so much bigger than the concerns of everyday citizens so often, and because things were so ambiguous, mm. eh, who could really... S- it's not the oracle's fault if it's wrong. Yeah, it's up to who you, how you interpret it. But then we contrast that with Africa. In Africa, the reason, for the most part, that divination is trusted is because most cultures that have divination in Africa have accountability for the oracle. Divination is more in these like African communities, uh, in these uh, African cultures, uh, is more about the interactions of different people. It's showing the effect of kind of 
shitty behavior on society at large. Um, in fact, a lot of these, a lot of these, um, these groups, because they all kind of, uh, I'll talk about it. I'm talking about it a little bit broadly because they typically stem from, um, the same handful of practices. Um, as a general rule, they were typically like really well-respected members of the community, but they weren't like the Oracle of Delphi where they were like aristocracy, like the ruling class. They were just members of the community. Um, a lot of places uh, have a strong link between the uh, divina- the like diviners of their community and the um, and like healthcare. Oh, um, yeah. It's like the the doctor is a cornerstone of a of a small community. So I imagine so would the fortune teller. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much exactly. Um, because there are like. For instance, the lobby of Burkina Faso, um, which is the lobby are like a, a cultural and cultural group in um, the like western part of Africa, um, yep. thought that all of the things that caused like disharmony in the world were just like yeah improper behaviour, um, and that you can only alleviate that by divination. Um, there were some. People, for instance, um, that took that to a bit more of an extreme with um, their practice of divination being split into two different, like, sections, I guess, um, where you were supposed to work out first um, what it was, like, what sort of problem there was like what the actual issue was um and it wasn't until you were correct about the issue in fact people would even withhold specifics of the um of the actual issue that they were facing like information that they knew just to test the diviner to make sure that like they also knew what they were doing that's mean yeah um and it's not until they can, like, prove that they know what they're doing, <laughs> that they would then, like, discuss payment and But how stuff. do you prove that you know what you're doing? Well, that's the thing. You have to convincingly, like, identify the issue. And once you can convincingly identify the issue, then they'll say, okay, well, now we'll listen to you. What do you say about fixing it? I guess if you're talking about communities that are a lot more... Like, well, it's, it's definitely a community-focused rather than a whole city goes to the one oracle of Delphi. It is these communities each have their own oracle, so that person would probably know the people quite well. Yeah, they weren't, like, so common that you would have, like, a lot of, like, diviners, but it was definitely a thing where you had... Everyone had a diviner kind of in their community specifically. Yeah. Um, So they'd they'd know the people by name. Yeah, we're talking like kind of one diviner to maybe every couple thousand people. Um, okay, I was thinking the communities were smaller, so in which case, fucking good work for the diviners. Well, it depends on um, the group that you're talking about um, because like, there are communities that still in Africa practice um, divination, even in like cities. Um, they're like like urban communities still rely as heavily on it as um as the like old kind of 
tribal communities. And the other, like, kind of big difference is the, like, democratization of it in the sense of the actual spirits themselves. Like, in Greece, you were talking to the gods. In Africa, you were almost always just talking to the spirits, just Hmm. the spiritual realm. Um, In fact, some people didn't even have... um, It wasn't even necessary that they could necessarily divine the future, just truth from the spirits you know um like you could solve a problem with help from the spirits but you couldn't necessarily say what was going to happen next it was just more about what is really happening yeah yeah exactly it's um typically like a connection to like the community spirits or the spirit world in general um it was actually quite rare for it to be like ancestors like of the specific person and stuff in a lot of these belief systems hmm it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest ones was called the uh, was is called Efa, which is yeah, it's just like a system that kind of has variations all over Africa, and that's where like a lot of the kind of beliefs seem to stem from in some sense or another, because um, it came from what was originally a very large um, kingdom in Africa, mm. um, like one of the one of the one of the largest in kind of um, Africa's pre-colonial history um and yeah and the the other kind of really interesting thing i think is that this accountability not only came in the sense of like you wouldn't really be trusted you wouldn't really keep your job if you were wrong if you'd been like misleading people the way the delphi sometimes was yeah but also in the fact that um ifa for instance uh has like vast literary um codexes to interpret the things that happen Ah. It's not just whatever you... So it's you properly codified rather than some of the more nebulous things that we have. Yeah. So th- uh, that's kind of the key difference. And I know I've gone a little bit all over the place, so <laughs> I hope that I've made sense. But yeah, kind of the key difference is in kind of Greek divination and in that kind of end of the divination spectrum, it's all like pre preordained from above kind of... This is what the gods say. This is what I, the most holy one among us, heard the gods say. And then you have like the other end of the spectrum in Africa where it's like codified scientific practice um, kind of stemming from like the Mesopotamian mm. um, like overlap of science and magic, um, which had kind of gotten to a, a little bit to that part of the world. And it's like all about like the community and making sure that like the community was like harmonious and well functioning and that everyone was like treating each other correctly Mm. um, and solving those problems when they came up as opposed to like the grand military campaigns that Delphi was advising. Yeah. It's a lot more down to earth and a lot less hierarchical. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot less hierarchical Um, and a lot more predictable. It felt like uh, it would have felt more like a scientific practice than it felt like a, Mm. some like weird amorphous kind of spiritualism. Cool. Well, from that, let's get into a little more of the practical side of things, get our hands on some real fortune telling. Um, So I'm going to start, basically, I've chosen two divination methods that I think show opposite ends of the spectrum as far as creating order from randomness or from chaos. So um, I'm not going to talk too long about it, but basically through what I've chosen... Uh, the idea is to demonstrate that uh, 
these methods of divination are about finding patterns um, because humans are incredibly good at finding patterns very quickly. Um, and it's thought that potentially one of the biggest reasons that we make decisions based on divination is a process called, or is a thing called thin slicing. So thin slicing is a psychological um, phenomenon where the human brain has been observed to make um, as decisions that are as good or judgments that are as good if not better than long-considered judgments when we make it based on a limited set of information in a short time frame. So um, first impressions is one of the, the biggest ones. Um, increased exposure time helps people obtain more information to judge um, to judge social approaches and stuff, but it actually lowered the accuracy of those judgments the longer that you were with somebody. So you actually know somebody, you can judge somebody's character better off your first impression um, rather than by a long period of time. Um, similarly with compatibility and speed dating, same thing. A quick, um, in, a quick interaction with limited information will actually provide you a lot closer of an idea of whether you're going to get along with them. I guess that kind of makes sense because it's like when you just meet someone, they don't have the time to really think about how you how you think about them. Yeah. So they're not really like tailoring their stuff to you. Whereas like you spend enough time with someone, you don't know whether the things that they've told you were true to them or not. So it just kind of all melts together and you just have to hope you got it right. Yeah. But um, then it gets more interesting when you look at things like problem solving and the, um, the ability to detect deception where still thin slicing holds up by taking a, sh- a small fragment of the information at hand just like a, a thin slice of the situation, we're more likely to make an accurate judgment on whether we're being deceived or on what the solution to a problem is. Um, because we are so good at recognising patterns and our conscious mind actually gets in the way of that. Um, so essentially the idea behind divination, or at least some, of, some theories will tell you, is that we are finding just a thin slice of information. It's a way of just saying through this lens, I can see this, this, and this, and through that, I'm going to make my judgment just based on limited perspective um, as a way to kind of make our decision-making simpler and rely less on that um, discursive thought and more on our subconscious thought. Yeah, and I guess it kind of forces you to prioritise, even if it is subconsciously, like which factors you consider. If you've only got 30 seconds to consider something, then you consider the three most important things instead of all the 60 things you can think of. Exactly. And so now what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through two different um, methods. Now, I would have loved to have had um, some fellow podcasters on the network on um, Imogen and Harrison Predict the Future. They have a podcast where every week they go through a different divination method. Um, you can catch them on Instagram at, at predictpod um, or yeah, listen to them, Imogen and Harrison Predict the Future. Um, it is fantastic. It is wacky. And so far they've got, I think, three or four episodes out. Um, feel free to get in contact uh, with them to ask any questions or to just figure out specifics of uh, your divination. But failing that... I'm going to look at some tarot cards. Now, uh, I've pre-laid what is called a Celtic cross for Danae. 
Um, and I am scared. Yes. So, Danae, if you'd come over here. Because Danae's just gone through a big change recently, so. Yes. Help. Now, we can speak into the same mic for ease of this. I've got it. I've got it. All right, Tully, lay it on me. What have we got? Beautiful. Please, so, let's explain this to me. So, you you did have me look at one card. Yes. So, what we start with for the Celtic Cross is a card that signifies the person that we're reading. So, in this case, um, we've had a look at the art and we picked the Hanged Man. Well. Um, that is the card that's going to represent Danae here in, um, in our reading. So... That's the heart of the matter. That's what we're looking at. And um, I actually did look... I told you not to look at the meanings, but I did have a look at the meanings for the Hanged Man. And uh, this is a card that means sacrifice, but um, also release. So it's typically a card of martyrdom, where you have sacrificed something, but of your own free will. You've done it deliberately. I just did do that, Tully. Really? Really? (laughs) Did you just do that? I did, yeah. It's almost as if the person curating this fortune telling knows a little bit about your personal life. Oh my God. <laughs> so next upon that, we place uh, the challenge card, which is, this is the challenge that you're facing. So this was the six of wands. Now uh, this represents victory, success and public reward. So there's a public celebration of your success and recognition of your achievements. That's, that's what we're struggling with. Um, now, if we have a look at the cards themselves, um, it is in the, in the suit of wands, which is in creation. So this is the very beginning of the creative cycle, uh, and it talks about creativity, passion, desire, and will, and it is a very active and physical card. So this is my challenge card. This is your challenge card. Um, so it's a challenge in creating or a challenge in passion, uh, and we're dealing with wisdom and exploration. Okay, well, that's interesting because sh- shall I give my my response? Please to this? do. Okay, so the the context of this is, I broke up with my girlfriend like two days ago, and it was a very yucky, toxic sort of relationship by the end, and it yeah, it was very not nice, and I feel like this card that's telling me about challenging to do with creativity and passion is really interesting because something I was just talking to a friend today about was that I feel like in the approximate year I've been with this person I hadn't done anything creative or like passionate with my life because I felt so bad all the time and now I'm sort of struggling to refine that. So just for the listeners at home and for the skeptics out there Realize what I've done here is when I was originally exploring the meaning of this card, that is the the six of wands means victory and success and public reward. When that didn't hit home, I went back to the base meanings of the suits and of the numbers, which then gave us a different meaning that we could interpret. Now, uh, the person um, at the store that I bought this from gave me the advice that sometimes it's less about the literal meaning of the cards and more about the artwork Um, or more about the journey of the suits. So that's why I was talking about wands being at the beginning of the creation cycle. Um, Hmm, it's almost as if... I feel manipulated. Yeah, it's almost as if you should prioritise the one that they said is right. 
it. And that's oh the God. only rule. Yes. Hmm. Um, so if we move on from here, if we go into the conscious. So this, yeah. is, this is what is conscious and what you're thinking about while you're working through this problem. Okay. Uh, and so this is um, a card of, this is the Ten of Wands, which is about accomplishment and responsibility and burden. Um, generally, it means you feel overburdened, but with a responsibility that you created. Um, and that's what's on your mind at this point. And what, what does this represent? The Ten of Wands. Uh, it is no, the, the like card, the card placement. The card placement, that's what's on your mind. That's your oh, conscious. Yeah. Okay, cool. So this is yeah. what you're thinking um, or what is going to be on your mind. Okay, yeah, I feel that. Whichever one is more accurate when Tully reads it out. <laughs> exactly, whichever <laughs> one is more accurate when I read it out. So again, this is about uh, passion and desire and... Uh, our 10 talks about completion and finality. So you're after a final passion or a see how I'm oh, yeah. shaping this based on what I know of you. Perhaps yeah. a finality to a passion, perhaps. Oh, my God. Ooh, perhaps. And see, that's two different ways of reading the same thing. Finality and passion could mean you're looking for the love of your life, the last person you're with, or it could mean you want to end your relationship. Both, really. What a get on a thrust. Um. So we move on to uh, the card underneath the, the heart of the matter, which is your unconscious. This is what's, what you're not thinking about. Now, this is actually the star. Is that this? There's yes. a naked woman. That is definitely not, not what I'm thinking about <laughs> at this point in my life. So this is the star, but it is actually inverse. It's reversed. So this is the way it's put. It talks about insecurity and discouragement and faithlessness. Oh, you, cool. Yeah, negativity is surrounding your thoughts and you're expecting the worst. And an important thing when it's placed in the unconscious is that your subconscious creates your reality sometimes. Oh, good. So this is, this is a warning not to think too negatively or that will cloud the way your future. Hey, hey, Danae. Yeah. If you get really sad, then you'll be sad when you do that. And that might <laughs> make you feel sad and do things sad people do oh instead gosh, of happy Trudeau. people. I don't know. Maybe don't be as sad. I don't know what to tell you. For those of you listening, hey, that's at home, exactly what my girlfriend used to say to me. <laughs> <laughs> just don't be, just don't be anxious. Um, so then we look into the past. The past here is one of the the major arcana, the chariot, which is uh, uh, one of direction and control and willpower. And so this says in the past here that you've taken the reins and harnessed the chaotic forces surrounding you. Um, you know, maybe you made a decision recently. Mm, yeah. Maybe you uh, focused your energy and, uh, you know, cut somebody out of your life. Um, so then we go into the future. The future is the five of swords, one of unbridled ambition, um, but also winning at all costs. So it says here that victory comes with a subtle consequence, yeah. that your actions have maybe isolated you from some people who could be helpful. <laughs> winning at all costs does sound like me. <laughs> Continue. Um, so but I win, is what you're telling me. Yeah, you, you win. Um, but Fuck you win yes. with a consequence. That's that's what this is telling you. Fuck. Um, so then we. It seems like the consequence though is just you won, and so someone else lost, and they're probably not happy about that. Yeah, somebody's not happy with <laughs> okay. you is basically the gist of this. It's typically, oh, winning, I feel. Yeah, is like winning is like that. Um, and so then we get into the four cards to the side. 
Um, so this is the, the querent, which is basically how this happens. Um, and we've got the Ace of Pentacles. So this is a card of opportunity and of prosperity and of new ventures. So this is how you achieve the future, is by new uh, creating some new ventures. Um, oh, my God. Specifically, because it's in Pentacles, in earthly ventures of the body or, or of wealth or fertile we- wealth and full of abundance. Oh, I have to move cities to get my dream job like I've been putting off. Oh, my obviously. God. Obviously. Exactly. Um, notice that I said fertility and wealth. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to choose fertility because yuck. No, but it's it's matters of the body or of wealth, which is very internal and very external. So you can latch on to whatever particular part of this that you want. We are, again, creating these this order out of the chaos of random shuffled cards from a deck of 76. Yeah, and then the from cards, if you, if you move, get your dream job and are therefore stable and happy and end up in a relationship, win at all costs, yeah. then the cards get credit for you now dating someone because the cards said that you'd have a new start in relation to your body. Yeah. Now, um, if we move up, we've got our, relation, our environment cards. So this is the things around you, the things and the people. And you've got another major arcana, which is the lovers. Um, now, this doesn't necessarily mean just romantic love but this is about but it could if you felt like it should it could it could (laughs) this is about partnership and duality and choice so potentially you've formed a deep emotional bond and there's harmony with two aspects of your personality potentially maybe your love life and your career choices um (laughs) see and this is the way that you can twist the meanings of these cards to mean something that is very personal to feel very specific hell i mean it could literally be interpreted as just like you now are more independent because you're more independent. Yeah. Um, hopes and fears. We've got the Five of Cups, which is a card of loss and grief and disappointment. So I wonder what I'm grieving. Well, <laughs> potentially you fear that uh, there's the despair that's associated with loss. You um, fear that this is that you're going to lose more. Um, but the hopes in there say that there's potentially still a chance to salvage. Um, from what you've lost. So maybe the oh, end of a relationship... No, I'm not salvaging that, no. Well, but maybe the In end of trash. a relationship means the start of a new one, salvaging your personal life from where it was. And again, multiple meanings to the oh, same I'm card. I'm listening, yes. Um, and here's our outcome. Our outcome is... No, this is not necessarily what the actual outcome is because that's more <laughs> the future. Of course but not. But this is potential outcomes. This is something that could happen. Oh, okay. Well, things can happen. So, like so. everything in life. Yeah, and that's the thing about this is everything has its has its inverse of things, um, but the outcomes here say it's the seven of pentacles but reversed. Wait, isn't it this one? Oh, we went up. Yes, we work up. Okay. Yep. Sorry. So this is the seven of pentacles but reversed. So this is um, the outcomes of potentially work without results or of distractions. Um, putting in work and maybe questioning the rewards that you get, or you find yourself looking for different opportunities. So maybe some opportunities present themselves and you choose to follow other ones. Okay, fuck me, I guess. Yep, cool. So, Danae, to summarise the outcomes, (laughs) if you choose to do things, those things will happen. If you choose to do different things, different things will happen. Use See, that knowledge wisely. It works. <laughs> um, so that just gives you an idea of how this this tarot deck, which is all shuffled, um, it's back to front and front to back. Um, 
it kind of creates these semblances of order out of something that is seemingly random. I enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, once I had my tarot read once before by a girl that I was very attracted to and probably that coloured my experience of it a little bit. But I really, it felt really like mystical when she did it. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not even kidding. Like, she did it really well. And I was like, wow, I feel really called out. And, <laughs> you know? Um, I love tarot. It's so cool. Because it's like, and I mean, not to completely knock on tarot. Because obviously, like, it is really when you get down to it, just as likely that the reason everything lines up is because the spirits made sure that it would be the things that lined up and that we would think about it that way. Mm. So it's like, it. this could all be happening through coincidence and it could be through spiritualism and I just don't yeah. really mind I mean, either way. Think about how every card that we had had some sort of relation to an issue. Now, call it what you will, mm. but it did. We don't know for sure that if you draw other cards that it would have worked as well. Exactly. Um, but... It's And I mean, we told two different narratives, but with very similar results. When I did an earlier reading um, with a different heart of the matter, still relating to Danae, I used the Queen of Cups, which is used to just talk about somebody superficially, about having um, dark hair and a fair complexion. And it gave me different cards and different results, but a very similar sort of reading. Yeah. Call that subconscious guidance or call it spiritual intervention. Who knows? Yeah. It's interesting that you chose the Queen of Cups for me. I chose the Hanged Man for me. Mm. Like, I wonder if now this reading is more attuned to, like, what I think of me, whereas the other one's, like, more what you think of me. Potentially. And that's that's the thing about it is um, because it is supposed to be very personal, you picking the card that works for you might actually influence that quite a lot. Um, but, it, but it still always feels so powerful. Yeah. I mean... I did a tarot reading once with a friend just to be like, just because she wanted to show me her new tarot deck. And I was like, haha, should I go and buy this video game? Because I was going to go buy a video game that day. It was just like what I had on my to-do list. Yeah. Um, and just the tarot reading for that, I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like um, it just, it feels so magical even yeah, just to, awesome. just to like have it all fit. Even if you're sitting there talking about how it's silly that it all fits. Yeah. yeah. Like, even as I was riffing on it, I still thought it was, like, kind Pretty of cool. fucking amazing to listen to. Um, so, what's the next divination process? So, like? the next one is... Uh, this is one that happened a lot um, in... Uh, uh, remind me, Harrisbex. Oh, uh, Mesopotamia was yep. big in Harrisbex because they believed that uh, the liver was the brain pretty much they were like oh, cool. they, they thought the things the brain did the liver actually did so it was all like um which is why their divination deals with heresy which tully is yes so what i'm going to be doing in just a moment is i'm going to be grabbing myself a plate a knife and an egg so i'm not i don't have a liver in the recording studio sadly um because i'm a hack but um, I yeah, was apparently Tully couldn't get his hands on one of the ten liver models from ancient Mesopotamia that ex- like there's ten of them, Tully. There's so many, like so um, absolutely what I'm doing, incompetent. This is a subsection of Harispacy called Ouskopy, uh, which is just reading eggs. That's, which is that's what it means. Harispacy for babies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the the tenets of this tend to be a little less specific than tarot. This is more um, to shape a to tell you. Positive against negative. Um, so what I've got here is a little 
diagram of the egg. And once I find... Actually, sorry. Could you please find out which way southeast is? I need to know which way southeast is. Um, That's a big ask. I can try. Download the Compass app. Essentially, what I'm looking at is I need a specific part of the egg to be facing southeast. And I need to be looking at it a specific way. And then from there, um, based on the imperfections in the egg, I get to see what exactly um, this decision is. So I'm going to read this for Lachlan. Now, Lachlan... North is directly where I am facing. Beautiful. North is that way. So that means that's south. So southeast is that way. That way, actually. Never eat sulky yeah. beetbex. Yeah, that way. Cool. Excellent. That works well. So I need to be sitting where Danae is. Now, Lachlan, I need you to come up with a question. Oh, yeah. So oh, I forgot this one was, this one was me. Um, you should use the same question for both your readings, I feel, because ooh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see if you get similar answers. Okay, okay, okay. Hmm. What's a good question, then? I don't really have a lot of things to ask the eggs right oh, now. Oh, I'm sorry. You have a perfect fucking life. Well, I just don't think there's, like, my life's not perfect, but, like, it's perfect for reasons I can comprehend. I don't need the egg to tell me right now. You know? always need an egg to tell you something. You yep. know what, Tully? I'm just going to ask the egg, what am I missing? What are you missing? What am I missing? Ooh, okay, okay. What well, am I not? Because um, I don't know what to ask the egg. And, I mean, I think the egg's going to have something to say. So there's clearly something I'm not accounting for. And I'd like to know what it is. Excellent. Okay, so. Excellent, more like. Ha, 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 ha. Because <laughs> it is an egg. So, I need to pronounce this area as sacred. Uh, delimiting the sacred from the profane here. So I say, ta sakni, which is in, uh, this is the sanctuary. So this is the sanctuary. Uh, now I offer water as libation for the gods, but this is actually uh, more so, I need to wash my hands. So one second, I'm going to go and wash my hands. Yeah, for uh, a little bit of an insight into, and Tully, uh, not shake your head if, you, if you're going to talk about exactly what kind of this practice was about. Um, kind of. So the, the gist of it was kind of in Mesopotamia with this practice specifically, and especially when it was like livers and entrails to a lesser extent, but kind of, um, was, it was about looking for abnormalities, uh, specifically. Um, in fact, this was actually, I didn't talk too much about it because I didn't talk about the specifics, but it was something similar was done by, um, like the Greek oracles and stuff, but they would do it with, uh like animal guts and stuff. And it was basically just like looking for something that isn't there on the like typical standard diagrams of this thing. And that abnormality suggests whatever the spirits are trying to, or the divine or whatever is trying to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. So next. It's like little tumors and stuff on the guts. Yeah. We're we're looking for spots, imperfections, colorations, discolorations, stuff like that. And where in the egg it is will tell us which gods are happy or sad with us. Um, mm. So, oh yeah, because this is Mesopotamium, so it's more ab- it's more about the divine and less about the like spirits in the community. Exactly. So, Phoebus, Apollo, Delian, Pythian, Lord of Delphi, Guardian of Sibyls, or by whatever other name you wish to be called, I pray and beseech you that you may, by your Majesty, be propitious and well disposed for me, for which I offer this egg. If I have worshipped you and still do worship you, you who taught me mankind and the art of fo- the art of prophecy, you who have inspired my divination, then come now and show your signs that I might know the will of the gods. I seek to know 
What is Lachlan missing? Show signs here now. Oh, God. I'm, the egg, darling. I'm so fucking excited. Oh, I'm going to lose Carry my out the sacrifice gore. according to the law. I uncover my knife. And with a single blow, I crack the egg. Man, I really hope that Apollo and shit don't realise that you didn't <laughs> he actually... He didn't crack the egg. <laughs> I was crack the egg. I was going to say, I hope that Apollo doesn't realise you didn't actually teach... He didn't actually teach you about mankind. But I guess he did, because the egg didn't crack. So, should I get another egg? And no, just crack yes, it no, again. no, get another egg. Apollo said no. Apollo said no. <laughs> Apollo, it was the most important oracular god, and he was very specific about how things were done. All right, here comes egg number two. Let's give okay, it another let's, shot. Okay, let's fix this up. John Opsipaus, or by whatever, whatever other name I would know you, I pray and beseech you that you may by your majesty be propitious and well disposed to me for which I offer this egg. If I have worshipped you and still do worship you, you who taught me the art of prophecy, you have, who have inspired my divination, then come now, show your signs that I might know the will of the gods. I seek to know... What is Lachlan missing? <laughs> Show signs here now. Oh my god. Did you not crack it again? Okay, you cracked it. Wow, good job. Hey, fucking Tully. Did you say John <laughs> Ops about? Who's <laughs> the guy that wrote the article? <laughs> He's just some dude that wrote a book about the oracles of Apollo. I googled him because he's like, who the fuck is John Ops? <laughs> he taught Tully the art of divination. Fuck off. He did. He did, and I guess in that sense, he was speaking as the mouthpiece of Apollo. So really. Really? Yeah. It's the Oracle of Delphi. Well, I mean, I've actually got some stuff to talk about here. Oh, right. my fucking God. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking for Frightful Omens. Now, actually, there is a Frightful Omen here. Oh, my God. There I is. figured as much. <laughs> I see it. Yeah, there's, there's a blood spot. My life is frightful. There is actually a blood spot here, which is a bad omen. Yeah. Um, now, this is what I'm looking for uh-huh. is, uh, is in the east is friendly and in the west is the enemy. Now, I'm seeing this in the West. Uh, it's north for the gods of heaven and light and south for the gods of earth and nature. So uh, this is just slightly north. So this is in the gods of heaven and light. This is in the outer circle. So this is Vetus. So I'm going to look up in this article. So this is evil, <laughs> evil Jove, lord of death and destruction. There is The lords of death and destruction are not happy with you. This is a bad... Omen, because there is a blood spot um, for Evil Jove. That tracks, probably. Yeah, I mean, that tracks. Uh, I spend most of my time writing about how capitalism is terrible, um, and uh, I've been talking more and more to, um, like, protest groups lately. So I guess if, like, the Lords of Death and Destruction are our government, they're probably pretty mad at me at the moment. Mm. Or like would be if I mattered to en- to anyone that was important. Um, so I guess there's that. That's probably the closest I could think of. Yeah. So this is this is a frightful omen. You need to be scared of the gods of death and destruction. Um, now I need to be looking for bubbles and pale features as well. Now there is a bubble. This is in again. There's there's a larger bubble in the bad omens. Um, so this is. In, I would say this is, um, 
which is Demeter or Aphrodite, the goddess of resurrection and love for the dead. Goddess of resurrection and love for the dead. Um, There is a bubble here which indicates that... Okay, so just it just indicates to us that they are watching. That's that's what we're looking at here. That just the 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 god the goddess of resurrection is just watching. Just yeah. checking me out. Yes. So fucking hit me up, Demeter. Here's here's one thing about the Wanna inspection. It doesn't have many clearly codified things for what a bubble means, what a deformity means. The only thing that's specifically marked is that it's a bad sign if there is a blood spot. That's the only real demonstrated thing. So let's have a look at this bubble over here, which is in our positive quadrants. So this is for the god of the ruling class. Oh, my God. There is a bubble there for the god of the ruling class that the god of the ruling class is happy, is watching you, but is happy. That doesn't even make sense. It, this doesn't make sense at all. This is very strange. Um, so this says the god of the ruling class is friendly to you, um, specifically the ruling of earth and nature. Oh, well, then that changes things. Yes. That makes more sense. So once again, I've provided a distinction to our definitions which has changed the way we look at it because the distinction was the exact opposite of the original thing you said yes um so what we can gather from this is that the god of death is not happy with lachlan but the god and there are some bad omens coming Uh, potentially you're going to die or somebody that you know is going to die um, or somebody that you know will have somebody they know die um that one of those things will definitely happen at some point. Yes, at some some point in my life, for sure. Um, so what are you missing? Maybe the death of uh, somebody. Um, um, but you are also... Oh, wait, the question was, what are you missing? Yeah, what am I missing? You might be missing um, some friendship with people in high places because the god of the ruling class is friendly to you, is providing options... Potentially, this means a political move is in your future. Ooh, woo. Interesting. And what you're missing is the connection with the ruling class. Yeah, okay. I mean, that kind of tracks. Um, I guess if you said that, based on our conversation earlier about um, that we were having kind of off mic about like the protests not being like organized enough, I guess mm. that you could say... And I only mentioned that just because it's what I've been doing lately. Um I guess you could say that that's because there isn't, like, a political aim of it and they need to be connected to that political aim. Um, and I guess the gods of death and destruction are probably mad at me because I've been uh, sending a lot of really nastily worded tweets Scott Morrison's way um, in recent weeks. So... There we are. Um, and so just to bring this back to my original research topic, which was thin slicing, what we've done is we've just created a very thin sort of focus of we're focusing on a couple of elements of complete randomness, which is going to create some order to a problem or a or a situation that we find ourselves in. And you'll notice that Danae and I both immediately, uh, as soon as we started doing this, just 
made this about the thing that we're thinking about most right now. Exactly. Uh, this is what I'm thinking about right now because it's what like my assignments have been all about. Uh, like Danae's just gotten out of this relationship and it's like we just like immediately like subconsciously assign like our most important kind of thing to it. And so that's a little bit about the psychological aspects of two completely different methods of divination. Huh. Yeah. So that's me. I'm going to go clean this egg off the plate. Danae, do you want to talk about what methods of divination you're going to run through? Absolutely. Um, As a little fun offshoot too while while you get ready, because I do need you back uh, for your tea leaf reading. An interesting aspect of divination, I think, is that uh, about during the Middle Ages, scholars started adding suffixes. Um, for whether they thought things were basically mystical or scientific. So if something has mantia at the end of it, that means it's mystical, but scopia means they think it's scientific. Oh. So there you go. And then I was like, okay, what are are some weirder divination arts? And here, here are some really weird ones I found, right? You can divine the future apparently by human sacrifice. Good. Dust. Those are the same... Physical appearance, mm-hmm. chance encounters with animals, mm-hmm. uh, bumps on the skin, mm-hmm. dripping wax into water, mm-hmm. the ravings yes. of lunatics, mm-hmm. random shouts heard in crowds. Of course. Footprints. Wouldn't want to miss that. Or my favorite, sneezes. <laughs> <laughs> so I will be doing a rune reading and a tea leaf reading tonight. Now we have prepared a cup of tea for... Yes, I've been sipping at this cup of tea all uh, all episode, and about a couple of minutes ago, Danae, uh, well, she got the, the leaves ready to be read. Yes, so uh, reading tea leaves is a relatively recent divination process. It appeared around the 17th century, but it's been really popular ever since. Uh, it's also called tassiography or tassiomancy. So again, going back, uh, that's mantia, so mystical rather than scientific so basically if you want to read tea leaves oh i didn't clock on that that's where mancy comes from that makes a lot of sense actually yes uh so basically all you need to do is make a cup of tea with some loose uh, tea leaves and drink the contents leaving about a teaspoon of liquid in the cup so feel free to do this and follow along with us if you like Oh my god, we have a podcast cat and she is just getting these head rubs and she's like, yes, I foresee pleasure in my future. Keep rubbing. (laughs) Um, After you finish drinking, swell your cup three times counterclockwise, holding it by the handle in your left hand. Then invert it gently over a saucer and leave it for a minute so that all the liquid drains away. Then turn your cup up the right way and you can start the reading. So, Tully, I'm going to be getting you to tell me what shapes you see and then I'm going to be telling you what it means. So, we're going to start at the actual handle and then we're going to be moving clockwise around the cup. So, anything on the handle will represent you. Okay, and so on the handle, there is a very, very short line of tea leaves, a short thin line. So basically, I want you to um, think about if, you know, you, when you look up at the clouds and you dis- you ascribe actual shapes to them, like that's a horse or that's a horseshoe. <laughs> okay. 
you know so what what shape comes to mind this it it reads it reads as an arc i when oh. i put a, this to a shape i think rainbow that's the sort of i i think of the rainbow between two clouds that's the uh immediate distinction okay Rainbow isn't in my dictionary, but one, I suppose because there's no colours in tea leaves, maybe they haven't included that. <laughs> You're the only person who's <laughs> ever thought to say rainbow. No, Nobody's ever considered it before. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Okay, so a rainbow represents uh, luck, hope, fortune, and your wishes coming true, Tully. Oh wow! Yeah, that's pretty nice, isn't it? Um, okay, so uh, now. Is there anything, I guess, to the immediate left or right of that shape on the handle? Or there is clip? nothing to the immediate l- uh, on the rim of the teacup or on the handle. Oh, uh, we can move to the rim now. That's fine. Yep. Well, yeah. There's nothing else on the handle. So on the rim, there is a there is a single tea leaf. I can't get any shape off that, um, unfortunately. So maybe a, a dot. One a might dot. Say? A dot could work. Or a circle, even? I'd say a, a dot or a speck. A speck, okay. Do they have uh, different things for dots and specks? Is that accounted for? or There doesn't appear to be a dot. Interesting, interesting. Okay, I'm calling... Oh, wait, page two. Okay, well... Oh, fuck We're you, Tully. You've got, like, the nice... Re- money, presents, and... In- Engagement. Faithful friends. So basically, uh, it's saying that to the left of the handle basically represents past and living your life and to the right represents present and immediate future. So obviously you have your faithful friends right here. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else around the rim or top third of the cup, Tully? The top third of the cup is pretty clean. All right. So the top third basically represents events that will occur quickly within days. So um, you're pretty clear. Let's so the next couple of days are going to be pretty quiet for me. Catatonic for you, yes. Mm. Now let's move to the, the middle section of the cup, like midway down. Anything there? That's the near future, a couple of weeks away. Okay. There is a bit of a shape here. I'm going to call that a... See, I'm I'm very I'm not very good at this uh, the, sh- the drawing shapes from the tea leaves, but I'm thinking dog potentially. That's that's what I'm seeing. Dog. So that's what we'll go by. Okay, so a dog, and remember we're moving clockwise around the cup. By the way. Yep. Okay. Well, dog. <sighs> oh my boy, you've got the grim. The grim. <laughs> The grim. The dog has many meanings, which must be read in accordance with other symbols, apparently. But in a general way, this sign does indicate adverse conditions or the thwarting of life's chances. Perhaps money troubles, perhaps Mm. family misfortune. Is it large or small? It's very small. Now, a small dog simply uh, signifies vexation and impatience. So perhaps you're impatient okay. for something to begin hey, or to end. Hey, Tully, are you vexed or impatient about anything? I mean, I do have a job interview coming up. Well, there you go. And I am impatient for the end of semester, which is more than a couple of weeks away. There we go. Perfect. It's, that's it. That's the, that's the leaves. The tea was right. The tea was right.
Now, what about the the base, like actually on the bottom of, of the cup? That's going to be more distant future, about a month away. Okay. So, if I'm reading clockwise, I'm seeing two symbols. Okay. I see a, a small wagon or cart potentially. Mm-hmm. And then I see a very large elephant. Ooh. Well, the wagon implies a fortunate outlook and changes for the better, whereas an elephant is a sign of power, of promotion, happiness and stability, both in your love and your... Fuck you, Tully. Why do you have the nicest readings ever? (laughs) (laughs) you kidding me? Like, the worst thing is like, God, you're a bit impatient about something. And mine's like, you're going to be alone and (laughs) you'll win, but at what cost? (laughs) Lachlan has the god of death and violence unhappy with him. Already unhappy, apparently. I haven't even done anything. Exactly, that's why he's unhappy. He wants you to wreck some shit for him. Oh, yeah, that would make a lot of sense, actually. There we go. We're putting even more meaning onto that reading. So basically with tea leaves, uh, it's basically like every... It's like a story and every shape works together to fill in a different detail. So I'd say if we're going from impatience and good fortune and um, happiness and security... That we're more likely looking at perhaps getting the job and getting a promotion. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing for you, Tully. It's very exciting. Congratulations. coming. All right, Lachlan. Yes. Hello, it's me. Now, do you want to come around to my microphone? I would absolutely love to. Now, I'm going to be casting some runes for Lachlan. The word rune means mystery, secret, whisper... They're commonly small tokens made of something like wood, clay or stone with symbols from the runic alphabet carved onto them. One of the oldest and most interesting runic alphabets is the Nordic Futharks. There are two versions, Elder and Younger, and the Elder Futhark contains 24 runes, the first six of which spell out the word Futhark. Now, according to Nordic epic sagas, Odin created the runes as a gift to mankind. It's important to note that Rune casting isn't fortune telling. Rune reading is about looking for possible causes and effects and seeing potential outcomes, not about seeing the future or definite answers. Basically, we're acknowledging that you can change a path. Now, ideally, you need to sit facing north, Lachlan. So oh, I okay. Think that was. That's yep, perfect. Uh, and that's the direction of the gods in Norse mythology. Uh, for reference, people at home, I am now crouching on the floor facing north. Beautiful. Ideally, also, we'll have a small white cloth to cast them on, forming a boundary. Uh, today, I have a napkin. Fantastic. <laughs> and does anyone... Might, might you grab me a pen, Tully? I shall write the runes down because I can't cast them. I have an app. <laughs> <laughs> Does it count if you, like, generate them with an app and just write them down? Yes. How did they used to cast them? Like, what were they What were they back then? Like, what were they actually casting? Little tokens of bone or stone with the runes carved into them. Oh, okay. And they would sort of pick them out of, of a pouch or something and oh, okay. throw them down. Or it's just, like, let them spill out. Like dice meets picking your Scrabble set? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, so tonight we're going to be doing a three rune casting. Cool. Um, there's various kinds of rune casting. Uh, the most notable ones are three, five, and nine. Nine's a magical number in Norse culture. Um, the three rune casting I picked because it represents the Norse goddesses of fate, which are called the Norns. Uh, that's Orthor, the goddess of the past or what has been, Varathandi, the present or what is, and Skuld, the future, what shall be. Fate or weird um, was a really important factor, as I said, in the psychology of ancient peoples and I think still today for a lot of people. So what we're going to do is we're going to randomly select three runes. So I want you to close your eyes and reach out your finger and touch my screen. Yep, touch it again. Okay. So rune number one is going to go on the right. That is the overview or of, of like your situation or your query, which I'm imagining is, is the same as before. Yeah, okay. I mean, that tracks. I, I figure it's probably just the question is whatever you assumed the question to be while you were casting runes. So, <laughs> so this so is just a, a reminder that this question is, what is Lachlan missing? What is Lachlan missing? <laughs> Sorry, I gave you guys such a weird question. I just couldn't think of anything. That is oh, absolutely fine. I've just realised so, something horrendous. Oh my gosh, I that's completely right. I haven't put on my priestess crystal crown, obviously. That's putting, really important. Putting that on now. Sorry, it's on now. So you chose Ingas. That's the letter NG, basically. Now again, we're talking about the overview of your situation or query. Ingas symbolises male fertility inner growth, and virtue. Okay. okay. So basically it's saying, well, now's the time to give up old fears, break new ground, and make and strengthen new bonds. You need to listen carefully to yourself. Ooh, those new bonds are something that we've touched on in a previous reading for you. Mm, but on the other hand, Ooh. Ingas does stand for futile effort, exhausting work, and powerlessness. So perhaps fighting against the man is but this not is, going to do anything. This is the overview. This is this is what's that's, currently happening. That's just yep. That's, that's what's currently happening. True. Okay. So I guess this is all this is saying, and this is a struggle. That there is a struggle that I could win or lose. Correct. Yes. All right. Now close your eyes. Reach out and touch my screen again. And again, Once more. you're really bad at touching screens. Well, you're the one that's... My eyes are shut. I don't know what you want from me. Just, right, just you know what? Open your eyes and touch it. Open your eyes. I did. Okay. Oh, do I have to touch... You didn't tell me there was a spot on the screen I had to touch. Shh. I have to what? touch where the runes are on the screen, guys. Let it wash over you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now rune two goes in the middle. This is a challenge. Now, interestingly, you picked... An X. <laughs> That's Jibo, okay? With the letter G. Basically... Well, it's an X, actually, today, so... <laughs> shut up. <laughs> We're Nords now. So this is your challenge, right? And uh -huh. Jibo does symbolise a gift. The gift of the divine and of generosity. It warns that you need to pay attention to your personal relationships. That's your challenge. It can stand for greed, loneliness and dependence. Wait, how is that the gift of the divine? I'm confused as to how the names relate to the meanings. It just does. It might be oh. an and or situation. Because, <laughs> oh. see, runes have multiple meanings, right? So all the meanings of Jibo include gift, partnership, harmony, exchange, and loyalty. 
Oh, so I should disregard the gift one. <laughs> yeah, disregard that because that doesn't relate to you. Uh, cool. So okay, what, cool. what was that one representing again? Now that's that's your challenge. Okay. So, so the, it's basically the challenge is loyalty or and personal relationships, personal relationships, it seems. Yes. Mm. All right, pick a third and final rune. This is going on the left and this is going to be a course of action that could be taken. All right. He has selected Kinaz, which basically... Oh, wait, hold on. The X that showed up the first time was the one... Like, I pressed it again and it gave me an X again. Yeah, but, like, if we were doing this properly, you couldn't select like, it again because it would already be cast. Oh, true, there's only one. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, Kinaz is K, and basically that looks like the symbol for less than. Now, Kinaz symbolizes, and this will be a possible course of action that could be taken for you. Okay. Kina symbolizes revelation, inspiration, regeneration, passion, and vitality. But it also stands for disillusionment and false hopes. Okay, so, to summarize, the thing that I'm missing is that there is a struggle between me and someone else, which I could lose, but maybe won't. It is a struggle based on my relationship with someone else, which, I mean, struggles with other people typically are. Yeah. And if I win, it will be good, but I might be wrong and lose. Yes. Yes. That is what the Elder Futhark has told us today. Thank you, Elder Futhark. I feel like I have a new lease on life. I think things really make sense to me now. Yeah. Good. I'm really happy for you. May you go forth and prosper. I I think now I can, finally. Do you want to do that thing time. they do in Vikings and like lick my palm? Please don't. Uh, I mean, I can if you want. I've touched the cat a lot, so. That's fine. Okay, well, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> so, I guess what we've picked up from that, apart from uh, hopefully the audience weird. pick up that... We are all sceptics um, and we're trying to pick this apart piece by piece. Is that they're kind of these ways of divining, they're all kind of ways of bringing some order from something that's perceived to be random or beyond our control. Um, oh, yeah, just one quick note um, in the explanations for these, if I see the words quantum physics one more fucking time sorry i'm gonna fucking, fucking lose it what are people attributing the success of divination to quantum mechanics yes and the way they do this is that the inner workings they 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 talk about um the the quantum entanglement which is something you specifically have to do to something but they're saying that um the the state of the small things that we use for divination, like an egg or a deck of cards, are entangled to the larger fates of the universe. What? And so the the as as above, so below. The outside world, um, its past, present, and future is represented through quantum entanglement in our divination methods. As above, so below. Um, it's, it's, it shows a blatant disregard for what 
the fuck quantum mechanics actually means. Yeah, holy shit. Because it's like, I don't mean to be... Like, look, I am obviously, it is quite clear, sceptical of these practices. But I don't mean to suggest that there's anything, like, necessarily illegitimate about that. There's just as much chance that I'm wrong as anyone else. And mm. the, the things that are happening could be explained by the divine as well as they could be explained by the things that I'm saying. But quantum mechanics is two yeah. things spinning the same direction. Yeah, I want the same speed. Like, the point that I... The point has been, I think that it's important to know the context that makes people more likely to believe it if you're going to convincingly represent it in a thing. Not that holy fucking (laughs) shit, that it's just quantum mechanics. Oh my God. Tarot cards are so big. They're so big. How would the things that they do be determined by quantum mechanics. I mean, there are a lot of bigger things in the universe that can control all the atoms in a tarot deck. Like my dick. Yeah. But they're a lot bigger than fucking quantum particles, aren't they, Tully? We don't talk about that here. So, oh my God. <laughs> um, from here, unless anyone has anything else to say, I think we might take a quick break and then uh, see if we can very quickly talk about divination in games. Sounds good. Oh, actually, the one thing I will say, uh, fun new divination method. It was quantum mechanics. Schrodinger's cat, if you open the box and the cat's alive, then that's a good or a bad omen. There we go. I made quantum mechanics fit. Now quantum mechanics are divination. Fantastic. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. And we are back. I tried to say it before. If the if Tully left in the echo, which is because I was still muted, he didn't unmute me because he doesn't want me to talk and doesn't want me to be on this podcast, apparently. Uh. Fucking, I'm onto you now, Tully Grimley. Oh, God damn it. Um, so, uh, we figured it's been a long episode, so we'll keep this brief, but we were just chatting a little bit in the break, and... You've, we've, we've given you a bunch of different divination methods and kind of how the, what, what the different attitudes were and why they were and stuff. So and we, I think... We kind of had two thoughts on the matter. Yeah. Um, which is either you could take our divination methods as broad as they are and because the gods are undisputably real and you are the gods as the GM, um, then you could give them much more succinct advice that you could um, make it... What we got from the outcomes of this reading, you can give to them as the definite reading. Yeah, and because I mean, you've got you've got the campaign almost always written in, at least in rough details yeah. in advance. So just chuck in a chuck in a couple of plot points and make that your divination reading. Or, or I was thinking, and this is probably what I'm going to do in my games, honestly. Um, just make up a bunch of bullshit Delphic maxims, or like. I don't know, a, a bunch of like fake communal issues that, we, that, that the spirits would tell you about and then just make them as broad as things are now and your party will think that you're giving them plot advice even though you didn't really tell them anything. Actually utilise that like kind of split moment decision making and make the party reinterpret their own prophecy so they're the ones doing all the work. You're just reading a just shitty little poem you wrote. And worst case scenario is they think it was a little vague. And best case scenario, 
you can write your campaign and what happens based on your prophecy. Oh my God, that would be so good. Just come up with a bunch of fake prophecies, let the party interpret them however they want to, and then just pretend that it was all ordained. And you look good and they feel right. Yeah, because they're not going to know. Because they're just going to do anything anyway. That's how divination works. That's what it's about. They're just going to do whatever they were already going to do. So, and yeah, that's kind of about it. As per usual, if you've taken any of our advice, feel free to let us know. We would love to hear what you've done with it. Mm. You can catch us on all the socials at, at Dungeon Deep Dive or email us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. Uh, now, we gave you a quick plug to Im- Imogen and Harrison Predict the Future. You can find them at, at PredictPod on Instagram or you can... Listen to their podcast. Um, and if you don't listen to their podcast from now until the moment you die, then in your final moments, you'll hear a few words. Three, specifically. Once you hear them, you will know the truth. I love you. I'm gonna come. <laughs> <laughs> Humanity spent millennia upon millennia seeking answers to their questions through bizarre and occult methods that left them in the dark as ever. Now, in this golden age of knowledge, people no longer have to look at frankly incomprehensible omens, but rather make rational decisions based on peer review research and the scientific method. That being said, large swathes of people aren't doing that anymore. And here at Imogen Harrison Predict the Future, we've decided to lean in. People just like you email in questions like, should I break up with my loving partner? Should I make a major career change? I feel like I can constantly hear a heartbeat underneath my floorboards. What's up with that? And comedian Imogen. And writer Harrison. We'll look at some tea leaves or the moon or whatever and we'll tell you what to do. And you'll do it. Without question. Imogen and Harrison predict the future. We We have have a vision. vision. You'll love it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 